So I've been thinking this morning about the great Navajo prayer, Walk in Beauty. How many of you are familiar with it? A few, yeah. Well, it's a traditional Diné prayer, and I won't speak it in the Diné language because I can't do that, but I'll do it in English, or at least a part of it. Uh, walk in beauty, beauty before me, beauty beneath me, beauty to right and left, beauty behind me, nothing but beauty. And that's a story of how we see, of how we experience, that the beauty is what we bring with us, not necessarily what we find. In the words of Terry Tempest William, uh, finding beauty in a broken world is creating beauty in the world we find. That puts beauty on us, not on that, which is a really empowering principle. I'm also thinking, though, this morning about something that has been heavy with me for some time. It is a terribly, terribly difficult world we're in presently, and I think all of you probably know that for all kinds of reasons. A lot of divisiveness, um, just, it's very, very difficult. And, and for a lot of us, it's proven to be really hard. So a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a dear friend of mine, uh, once a spiritual student of mine who has now transcended me um, in remarkable ways. She's an evangelical in West Texas named Leslie. And she has a prophetic practice. She does really, really remarkable work. And we were talking about this, and she told me about the words that the Holy Spirit had given her. You are called to love others. You are not called to like them. <laughs> she was very relieved because there's a lot of people she didn't like. <laughs> you are called to love others. You are not called to like them. Now in my mind, that's perfect, whether you like this song about love being a decision or as it was taught to me, love is not a feeling. As my one-time mentor said, if feeling good is what causes you to feel loving, what is the good of that? Love is principle. Loving is the practice of the principle. And we stumble and bumble our ways through, just like Emmylou Harris talked about, stumbling into grace. Let's just be honest. Love is a principle. That's really interesting because, you know, Jesus' messages had things to say like, who are you spending time with? Are you spending time with only like-minded people? Or are you spending with people who maybe you have some disagreements with? In this environment, that would hardly be surprising. Who do you offer your hand out to? Do you offer your hand out to those that you have a particular affinity for? Or are you offering your benevolence to those with which you might have grievance? Jesus did say something about it profiteth you nothing to pray for your friends. Let's go do some prayers for those enemies. You know, like terrorists, pedophiles, politicians. It was also suggested that forgiving your neighbor is not nearly so powerful and valuable as forgiving someone who is perhaps perceived as an enemy. And I know you people. I hang out a lot with people in a lot of interesting places, and I know that we don't often admit that that is how we sometimes feel about others. So is it any surprise with this idea of love being a principle? Is it any surprise that we are asked to love where the loving is hard, where it's challenging. 
In fact, my work in developmental psychology teaches me that nothing great will come to you in your comfort zone. Nothing great will come to you in your comfort zone. All the big stuff, all the stuff that transforms us comes in significant discomfort zones. Now, there's some really interesting research. I do a lot of work in public health, Centers for Disease Control, which is why I'm in Atlanta. And I can't speak for them, but I can tell you one of the things that I learned about their data. I was doing some work with fetal alcohol syndrome. Now, if you don't know that particular nomenclature, or it's now known as a spectrum of disorders, uh, that's the conditions that happen to a baby who was exposed to alcohol in utero. It can run from very mild to really fairly catastrophic. And what I learned about fetal alcohol syndrome, especially the mothers who have born those children, is that they are one of the most <laughs> reviled people in our culture. Because everybody has terrible condemnations for people who hurt their babies. Which, of course, is a failure to understand addiction, but nonetheless, right up there with pedophiles. So here's what the data shows, though. And it has generalizable principles for all of us. The data shows that you can't let go of a bias, of a stigma, by being informed or educated. You can't preach it away from folks. What you can do is you can contact it away. In other words, if you hang out with mothers who have born children with FASD and you get to know them, you will let go of your judgments because you know that they are human just like you. So too with the people on the other side of the proverbial political aisle. And yet most of us, we have strong opinions about some of those folks, don't we? Yes, yes indeed. Some very strong ones, particularly in these times. So what that, what that data, what that research would show us is if you have a bias against a person of another color, go hang out with people who are of a different color. You have a bias against, there's a real strong bias, by the way, against obese people. You probably didn't know that. Really terribly judgmental about that. Hang out with people who weigh too much. You have a bias against some ethnicity, Maybe you have a bias against white nationalists. This one's really going to push you. I know that. Hang out with them. Can you feel it inside you? It's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, not them. Yeah, I believe in love. I believe in forgiveness. I believe in these principles, but not them. That's the space. Because the real work of loving gets done where the loving is incredibly difficult. That's where those principles really take. They, it breaks us wide open. And when we get broken open, <laughs> transcendent things become possible. Things that are from beyond us. And I know the resistance comes up. I don't want to. All the research would suggest you oughta. <laughs> Any of you know Father Richard Rohr? Yeah, I like to call him that renegade Franciscan priest 
who, uh, by the way, if you go research him, you'll find out he actually did a video on why it is he hasn't been thrown out of the Catholic Church yet, which is a really interesting video. <laughs> he runs a, gr a group called the Center for Action and Contemplation. The basic practice is you must do reflective work, and you must act in the world, and you must do both. You can't do good work in the world without doing good reflective work. You can't do good reflective work if you aren't active in the world. You must do both, and it creates transcendence. Well, here's what Richard Rohr says, and all the more reason for us to go to those dark places. Richard Rohr says, he's a psychologist, by the way, that psychologist, he says, that within us which we do not resolve, we will project upon others. And I did this work a couple years ago in another church, and a fifth, grader came, a fifth grade teacher came up afterwards with tears in her eyes and said, boy, that's what I do to my kids some days. And I honored her for being willing to tell the truth that some days those little amped up kids after Halloween were more than she could manage. <laughs> and she could see the effect that her projections had on those children, just like your children, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, the people in your community can feel those projections. I know, deep down inside us, it's like I don't wanna go there. It's dark, it's difficult, it's unpleasant. And my teachers tell me, go there. Now I had a profound experience of this. Some of you probably know from previous visits, I had a chance to correspond with a serial killer some years ago before he was put to death. He raped and killed seven women, and it was a really pretty remarkable story, but I wrote the book, and if y'all want to talk about that afterwards, I'm happy to talk about it. That is not the point. The point is that I was on a book tour with that book in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was sure I was on book tour. Can you all hear the ego? <laughs> I had a plan. Well, it turned out one of the reasons I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico was because of someone who was in my audience which I didn't know until she came up to talk to me. It turned out she came to me for help because she had read my book and she thought I might be able to help. I wasn't able to help, but we had a conversation. Turns out her sister had been murdered by a man of another race. And for reasons that are not clear, she decided she needed to go visit that man in prison where he was incarcerated for the rest of his life. That is bold medicine. Turns out he was Aboriginal, Australian, adopted away, stolen from his homeland, put into a white family in a suburb where he was the only black and certainly the only one who looked like Aboriginals. And he was ridiculed and shamed, and that hate came out of him with the violent act towards this woman. Cool story, terrible story, beautiful, ugly story. But what she said then was transformative. She said, Ra, I'm writing a book about this, and I get it. I understand and have deep compassion for this man. It is terrible what happened to him. And then the tears came, and my cape too. She said, I can't forgive him. He killed my sister. So here she is, she's got understanding, she's got compassion, she's writing the book, but she sees that she cannot let go of the grievance. And so yet she asked me for guidance. We went for coffee and we talked. 
There's no simple answer except the conversation that ensued and the conversation was that she needed to keep showing up at that prison and she needed to keep hanging out with that guy and she needed to keep doing her spiritual practices until such time as she was able to yield and let go of a grievance that she held deeply within herself. And she's still doing that work at last contact. She's asked me to review the manuscript when she's got it ready. And I gotta tell you, I, I am in awe of what she is trying to do. I don't know that I would have the courage for such a thing. We are called to love others. We are not called to like them. That is powerful medicine for us. Somewhere deep down inside of us, there is a place, as Rumi told us, if you're familiar with Rumi, the Sufi, a place beyond all of this, a meadow, where he says, I will meet you there. It's not out there. Somewhere deep down inside, past all the grievance, all the stuff we don't want to yield, all the stuff that eventually brings us face to face with what the Jungian psychologists call our true self. Some might call it the soul of us. So I'm going to ask you to go there right now with a meditation. What I'd like you to do is to close your eyes. Take a nice, deep, settling breath. And take another deep, settling breath. And then what I'd like you to do, see if you can find that feeling in your body, that place deep down inside you where you are still holding grievance. You may not know it by a word, you will know it by its feeling. Breathe into that place. Give that place the attention and love that it needs. As my dear friend Jim Peterson would say, cuddle up to your fear, your pain, your heartache. Make friends with it and let it heal you and teach you. It's in the body. Imagine with your breath cuddling up to that feeling and just breathe with it. Just breathe. Notice what happens to the feeling. And with your next breath, imagine breathing it away.
letting it go. And then breathe into the expansive space that emerges. And now cuddle up to that space with your breath. Joel Goldsmith said, it only takes an instant for God to repair us. But only if we allow that space to be touched. And breathe. 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 And your contemplation on the end of that as you bring your awareness back to this presence is a question Mary Chapin Carpenter asked. Where do all the shadows go in the presence of only light? Rest assured, there is only light. <laughs>